Welcome to the Brick Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Jared Callahan, and I'm the lead pastor here at the Brick. And my prayer is that as you listen to this message, that you connect with God maybe in a new way, and it's the beginning of the conversation between you and Him and the beginning of our connection here at the Brick. Uh, But if you're new with us, uh, we are in a series called Driving Emotions. And uh, in this series, uh, we've really processed and used an analogy about our life being like a bus, our heart being a bus, and that on that bus are all of our emotions. And many times, for whatever reason, we like to ignore the negative emotions or try to kick them off of our bus. And what I'd like you to see through this series is that uh, there are things that are there for a reason. You have emotions for a reason, and you might need to listen to them. In week one, we processed through letting God in your bus. And we talked about David and the psalm where he writes, search my heart, God, know my anxious thoughts. And, let, and correct me, bring me correction and direct my heart. And it's, it's said uh, in scripture that you really need to protect your heart because everything flows out of it. So if we're going to think about this bus and our emotions and our heart, it's really important we protect that. Uh, and so week two, we talked about anger and how it can kind of indicate what our calling is. is. We, we find out there's an injustice. We're mad about it. Maybe God's saying it's, it's our turn. Like we need to step up. Last week we talked about fear and really putting fear into perspective. Like what, 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 is, what fears are supposed to be there and what fears maybe need to have better perspective on larger fears and larger worries in life and larger concerns rather than sometimes the way fear makes us feel. Uh, and so when we did that, we processed through uh, something that uh, a diagram that I got from a local therapist that I've had conversations with in the midst of this series. And this diagram tells us that our thoughts are what start our feelings and our feelings are what leads to our actions. And our actions happen to reinforce our thoughts for the negative or the positive, right? If you think you're going to have a bad time and you have a bad time, you're like, see, that's what I thought was going to happen. So it's going to happen. Or if you happen to think you're going to have a good time, you end up having a great time. And before you know it, that's reinforced. So sometimes it can reinforce that. So we got to get back to what are we thinking? And we talked about in the scripture last week about how that we're supposed to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And my goal is for you to catch that and recognize that if we can get down to our real thoughts and our real feelings, we can process through how we're called to act. What are our next action steps? And Jesus reiterates this. Like Jesus is saying the same thing when they're asking his disciples, like, why are you eating those things that are gonna make you unclean? And Jesus explains, it is not what you consume that is going to make you sinful or unholy or unclean. It's actually gonna be what comes out of your mouth and the actions you make, that, that you take in your life that all started with your feelings and your heart because everything flows from it. So if we can get control of how we think, how we feel, then we can live a life that is glorifying to God. And so today I wanna to talk about the exciting, exhilarating, fun motion, emotion of pain. You guys, we're pumped, right? This is going to be fun. We're going to have a good day. Welcome to the Brick Church. We're so excited. Today, we're going to talk about sadness and grief uh, and loneliness. But I've had a burden this week because I think uh, if you can process pain appropriately, it can lead you to some trust in God and some growth in where you're called to be. And it can also help you, hopefully today, process through even how God sees it and how God's with you in the midst of your pain. And so this emotion of pain is there on your bus and it can be described in multiple ways. Griefs, you've lost somebody that you loved, um, sadness, loneliness. There's a number of ways to describe it. And really when it's full grown, if we're, if it even sometimes even processed 
as healthy as you possibly can, sometimes it's, it gets full grown and it, it can lead to depression. And what I don't want to do today or any of the weeks is try to oversimplify something and just be like, well, here's, here's the solution. Here's what you do. There are a ton of exceptions. My only goal in my heart for this series and this message and this week is to help give you tools to get better and follow God better. That's my heart. So if there's an exception for you, because like when we're talking about grief and sadness that might lead to depression, there are people that literally have chemical imbalances that you need to sit down with a therapist. You need to sit down with a psychiatrist and have a conversation about what that means. And me telling you that I've sat down with a therapist to process through this message and what's true or not true, I hope helps you understand understand that I value those moments for you. So if you need that and there's, there's extra stuff you need, don't, don't think that we're going to look any different at you. We're actually going to celebrate the fact that you take the steps God has called you to take to get the help that you need. And so as we talk about sadness, we talk about loneliness, we talk about grief, uh, it's on our bus. And I don't know how in the analogy, it can feel like as it's on our bus, it's, it might sometimes feel like you're parked. Like sadness comes up, you've lost somebody you love, you're really lonely, you're grieving, whatever it is. It sometimes feels like you're parked or maybe that like you just took a turn and you're like driving through the cornfield in your bus, right? It's like, I don't know what's this chaos, it's crazy. But the best analogy that I have that I feel like I've experienced is it feels like I'm driving in a fog. Like it feels like it's really hazy and really foggy. And as I'm driving down the, the, the road of life, the, the, on the bus of my heart, I, I feel like I don't, all the other emotions kind of are foggy and hard to hear and where I'm going is hard to see. Like I don't, I don't even know that I care where I'm going sometimes, right? When you're really sad and you really have that emotion, you're just like, let's just, I, this is the last direction I was headed. So let's just keep going this way because I really don't care, right? And uh, there was a moment that I experienced that kind of fog. Uh, my, my wife between our first and second child had a miscarriage. And in the midst of that, we were believing God, like there was signs that it might happen, but we were believing God was going to show up. And I come from a faith background to believe in miracles. So I was believing God was going to do a miracle on every sign that pointed the other way. I was like, that's just a better story for God to do something miraculous. And we finally sat down with the doctor in Tahlequah and had this conversation. And it was not no longer like you might be having, it was, no, it's already happened, right? It was like, oh, all of our hope, all of the the ex expectation of God doing something amazing just came crumbling down. And I remember, I don't, I, I imagine it was in silence because I remember driving, starting to drive home uh, from Tahlequah in silence, just me and her just in the pain, in the frustration, in the sadness. And I remember just not feeling, right? It's like, it's just this fog. And the, what reiterated my memory of how foggy it was is kind of a weird way to reiterate this is I got pulled over. And I got a seatbelt ticket when I got pulled over. The cop was super nice, and, but I didn't really care. I was like, whatever, just give me, give me my ticket. Just whatever, I got to have a seatbelt on, it's fine. I don't care, give me two, was it 30 bucks? Just give it here, do you need the money now? Like, I didn't care, there was a fog. And that might seem like, okay, I, most people don't care that much. But I passionately, uh, unrealistically, like it's not even logical how much I hate seatbelt tickets, okay? Can, I'm, just, I'm just confessing to you that seatbelt tickets makes no sense to me. I don't understand why we get seatbelt tickets. I'm a grown adult. I can put my life at risk. I have no idea why in the world you should get to pull me over and tell me that I can't put my life at risk. I can drive down the road, get in a plane and put a piece of material on my back and jump out of that plane. You're cool with that. I don't get a ticket for that. That's totally legal. It's highly encouraged, actually. I jumped out with a parachute on my back. You're cool with it, but 
I don't have a piece of material crossing my body while I'm driving down the road, you can give me a ticket. See, I'm illogically upset about the inconsistencies. I mean, I'm like just, I, it doesn't make no sense to me. I'm frustrated. Here's what's funny. I actually think you should wear a seatbelt. I actually think I should wear a seatbelt. But the fact that you told me I can't makes me not want to wear a seatbelt. Like, don't tell me what I can do. I'm a grown adult. Like, for kids, it makes sense. We should get tickets for that. But for me, I'm an adult. I can sign up. I can risk my life in the military. I got all these things that I can do to risk my life. But this is the one that you're going to make me pay 25, 50 bucks for? Don't make no sense to me. And in that moment, like, like even talking about it, my blood pressure's up because I'm mad. Like, I would... <laughs> I don't even care what your platform is. If you're a politician and you say, we're getting rid of seatbelt tickets, I'm on your team. Like, I'm there. We're, we're getting done with seatbelt tickets. It's an injustice. It's inconsistent. Let's do it. I'm illogically upset about it. But in that moment, in the fog, in the frustration, zero cares. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't care. Like, just give me the ticket. Pay the ticket. Because there was a fog and the other emotions, the, the outrage, the, the anger, all of the other emotions that normally would exist in my life were quiet because in that moment, I was too sad to care. Like there's a fog in that, in that moment. And so to kind of process through our, our sadness, uh, I, I wanna look at what Jesus did and the fact that Jesus also experienced sadness. I, I take some heart in knowing that even Jesus, the son of God, the, the God incarnate, God made flesh, he also experienced sadness. It happened in uh, John chapter 11. We find out about a story about a guy who has, is sick. And he has some of his friends come tell Jesus, hey, it's a distance away, but I need you to get here fast because Lazarus, your friend, he's really sick. And Jesus stalls. He doesn't go immediately. Kind of a weird thing to do when your friend's sick and you kind of have healing powers, right? Like you should, you should get there. He stalls and he gets there what seems like is too late. He gets to Lazarus and Lazarus has two sisters that show up throughout the scripture named uh, Martha and Mary and they're devastated. And there's a crowd around them. And, and you know, it's like this moment where Jesus sees the crowd and it tells us that he's stirred. Like there's something in him, he's emotionally stirred. And people are crying and devastated because there's someone they love that they lost. And then we read the shortest verse in all of scripture that's found in John 11:35. It says, Jesus wept. In that moment of stirring of their hurt and their pain and their sadness, Jesus, Jesus, the son of God, wept. That might make sense. It would make sense if you wept because you were sad about your friend, but it's clear in, in John 11 that Jesus knows what he's about to do. Like he's walking into this moment knowing that I'm about to raise this man from the dead. I'm about to do it. So you would think like his emotion would be excitement. Like, I know you're sad now, but y'all just wait. It's about to get good. But instead, that's not his emotion. His emotion is not anticipation and excitement and energy for what miracle he is about to, to do and that God is going to work through him. No, no, no. In that moment, he weeps. Why does, why does Jesus weep? Why is he sad when he knows what he's about to do? He knows he's about to raise his man from the grave. Why would he weep? I think there's two reasons he weeps. I think one is because our savior is empathetic. I think, he's, I think he weeps because other people are weeping. I think he weeps because he's sad when you're sad, because you're his kid and he loves you and doesn't wanna see you sad. Even if you know it's gonna work out in your, in your kid's life, like they're heartbroken because it's like their first breakup and they're like 11 and they're crying. It's like, you're being ridiculous. Like this is, that, was, that kid, that was never gonna work out first off. But you're still sad that they're sad. You're still sad, even though you know it's silly, even though you know it's ups they're, they're upset about something that doesn't make sense, even though you know it's gonna be better, you can still be sad. You can still empathize with what they're going through. 
And that's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of savior we have that empathizes in the midst of our pain. The second thing, and maybe a little bit more strange to point out is I think he's sad because he also didn't want to have to go through this to prove who he was. I think he's also sat in this moment that there is hurt and there is pain in this world and he knows it shouldn't be this way. Like it, it didn't have to be this way. It didn't have to go down like this. And if you start to see that and watch throughout scripture with that lens on and you recognize some things in life are not what God wants to happen. And that might make you uncomfortable a little bit, but we're clear in scripture that there are things that he wants to happen that don't. In Peter, it tells us that he wants everybody to be saved. Like he's patient, waiting for the most people possible to be able to be saved. And then there are scriptures that indicate that doesn't happen all the time. So there's a thing that God wants that doesn't happen. You look back and to see like there is heartbreak because there is pain that shouldn't have to be there. And you look back at Genesis and you might read it a little different. You look back at Genesis and you read it different and recognizing that God starts to ask them questions about what happened in the garden. Like, what, why are you hiding from me? Why did you know to get clothes on? And then he asks a question that I think has emotional weight behind it. I don't think it's just a question. When you're reading it, you can't feel the emotion. But I think when he looks at Eve, he goes, what, what is this thing you've done? Like, do you realize the pain that now exists on this planet that was never supposed to happen, that was not a part of my design, that what I didn't want you to go through is about to happen. Do you realize the pain of what we're going to experience because of these bad decisions? Do you feel what is going on and what's going to happen? And I think God feels that in that moment and is asking a question in a different way. And so in, the, in between what should be and how he's going to fix it, he still knows, oh, this hurts and I didn't want this. Now, to be clear, I think uh, God is saying, like, I'm going to make it okay. I wanted it a certain way, and I'm going to fix it all in the end. But it doesn't change that it hurts now. It hurts me now. It hurts you now. It hurts other people now. So that makes it hurt. But in Revelation 21, verse 4, he lets us know the end. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. See, when we say things like God is in control, it means that he's going to eventually make it okay. That like, it doesn't mean that God has controlled your pain in a way that he wanted you to feel this. It doesn't mean that God needed another angel so he took your loved one. It doesn't mean that that death was okay. It doesn't mean that that thing that was bad we have to reframe as good because we think it was God's plan. It actually means that eventually he's gonna wipe the tears and he's gonna make it okay. Eventually he's gonna work some things out and it's gonna make sense to us and we're learning to trust him in the process but for now, in the middle, I want you to know that God's with you. In the middle of the pain, he's on the bus with you, crying with you because Jesus wept. It says it like this in Psalm chapter 34, verse 18. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. If you were in here and you're wondering where God is at in your pain, I need you to know he's right next to you feeling what you feel in the midst of it, in the midst of the fog. And again, this fog, it's, sometimes it's a day, a month. It may be, feel like a lifetime. There's a little bit of fog at all times because there are losses in our life that are so big, so massive. He's with us like, no, no, that, that's heartbreaking. That shouldn't have happened. It wasn't supposed to happen. And I'm heartbroken for you. And he sits with us. And then he challenges us to do the same. 
right? He challenges us to be like him at all times. Jesus is showing us the way. God is trying to make us more like his children, make us more like him because Romans 12, 15 tells us this. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. That, that because God sits with us in our pain, God weeps with us in our pain. God is near us when we're brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. It's our job to do the same. Our job to mourn with those who, who mourn. And many times we skip over this, right? If you've ever experienced sadness and you've got that friend that's like, hey, hey man, just cheer up. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be fine. Like sun's out and like, hey, turn the frown upside down. Everything's fine. And you were immediately like, oh, thank you so much. I really, that, was, that was so helpful. Before I was sad, but now that you told me not to be sad, I didn't realize I just could stop being sad. Now that you said that, I'm so much happier. Like turn the frown upside down. Absolutely. I was born upside down. I was confused that I needed to move my smile up and now I'm happy, right? Like now that you've said that, no, that's not how Jesus responds. Not just simple advice on what's going to happen. Even though he knows he's going to wipe every tear from your eye in this moment, he still weeps with you. And our job is not to give simple truths in every scenario, but to sit down with those who mourn, cry with those who are crying, wrestle with those who are wrestling, hurt with those who are hurting. And sometimes we miss out on the opportunity to rejoice with people because we never spent time mourning with them. Sometimes we miss out on the opportunity to have deep, meaningful relationships because we give simple, oversimplified advice to people when all they needed was a shoulder to cry on. All they needed was somebody that cared for a moment. And, and Jesus lives this out. John tells us that Jesus comes with grace and truth. That if you look in scripture, uh, every time he tells somebody like, hey, go sin no more, don't, don't do this. He starts it with a miracle. He starts it with love. He starts it with compassion. The woman who was caught in the act of adultery, she's got all this condemnation. He looks at her like, who's, who's here to condemn you? She's like, and he's, she's like, nobody's left. He's like, I'm not going to condemn you either. And then he tells her, go and sin no more. I'm going to provide grace before I ever communicate the truth. So it doesn't mean that you always sit and we always stay and we're always stuck. It means that we cry and we, we empathize and we connect. And then there's a moment we say, okay, now let's, let's, let's get up. Let's go have a conversation with a pastor. Let's, let's go talk with our life group leader. Let's go, let's go talk to a counselor. Let's go have a conversation. There's a moment where someone's hurting in their marriage or they're hurting while they're parenting and you sit with them and you cry with them. And then there's a moment where you say, okay, now it's time to fight for your marriage. Now it's time to fight for your kids. There's a moment after the grace, there's a moment after the morning where it's time to do some things just like God did. It's like, oh, I'll weep with you, but now it's time to raise Lazarus from the dead. Now the hurt, is, it's time to get some, some stuff fixed. It's time to move forward with what God has called you to do, but you never get there. You never get to that place of healing until you first can get to the place with them of hurting. And, and there's a percentage of you that I need you to hear me very clearly. If you are highly empathetic and you take everybody's emotions, I am not telling you to light yourself on fire to keep the people around you warm. That is, you will, you will take this to the extreme and you're gonna feel everybody's pain and you're gonna hurt your family and your kids in the process because you think you gotta feel everything. Right? When we're mourning, when people were mourning, you didn't get international news back then to find out all the hurts of every child in Africa and every child in China. You didn't get all that. And some things need to be shut off and quieted down so that you can mourn with the right people. The people God has placed in front of you, the people that you're looking face to face, the loved ones in your life. You cannot fix the world. You're not Jesus, okay? 
let me say that again, you're not Jesus. You are not God. You're not here to save the world. He has given you people in your life that you're called to mourn with and rejoice with. Other people, you wanna see when, you want the best for them, but you can't save the world, okay? So if you're high, highly empathetic, don't burn yourself to try to keep everybody else warm. Um, so let's talk about why I think pain exists. Uh, before we talk about how to deal with it and process it, if you're in the midst of it, uh, I want to kind of talk through why is it even there? Why, why, why is God leaving pain on the bus? Why not just kick it out? Why not just not deal with it? Why not just not process it? Why is it even on the bus and should it be on the bus? And I think pain is on the bus because it's so interconnected to joy and hope and happiness and love. Now that sounds super weird. I know, but I don't think you can have pain, emotional pain. I don't think you can have loneliness. I don't think you can have grief without first having something you loved, something that meant something to you, something that you lost. A, a, a pastor that I listened to named Erwin McManus describes it as a spiritual phantom pain. And what he means by that is that in, in the medical field, if someone's lost a limb, uh, whether it's in war or in an accident, they will go through periods of their life where they have pain in the limb that doesn't exist. Like, oh, my hand hurts. Well, you don't have the hand anymore. How does it hurt? Does it make sense? Right? You know, oh, my leg hurts. You don't have that leg, but you still have a phantom pain in that leg. And he describes this reality that spiritually it doesn't make sense that we have pain for things that we can't even attain, pain for things that have never existed, pain for things that aren't there. It doesn't, that, that doesn't exist, right? We long for world peace. Like we long for world peace. Please tell me a point in, in history where peace has happened, where world peace has existed. Why do we long for something that's not there? It doesn't even make sense. We long for a fullness and a completeness of joy where all of our tears are wiped away. All of our pains are gone. We long for that. Why in the world, how in the world did evolution create this desire for something it can't fulfill? There's a phantom pain for something that's not there. It doesn't make sense. Everything in evolution provides something that you need or want or long for, and it provides it. You're thirsty, there's water. You need intimacy, you can get married. There are things that you need in your body. I'm hungry, there's food exists. Why are these things, longings in us that we're longing to have and attain as humanity, as individuals, unless there's a God who placed something more in us? that we have more as people, that we're, 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 we're built for more. And it only makes sense because we don't, we, we expect so much out of humanity because we have hope that humanity can be better. We have a belief and a joy of what humanity could be. We expect more. And I can prove this to you because we call things inhumane. Like if somebody does something, that's inhumane. How dare you do that? That's less than human. That's less than the ideal of what you should be. How, how can that happen? What do you mean it's less than ideal? It's, it's what I evolved to. It's what I'm created to do. I just did what I wanted to do in that moment. No, that's not what you should have even wanted to do. That's a weird statement because we don't claim that of animals. You can't be an animal. Like, hey, why'd, why'd you, alligator, come here, man. I know you're mad about not being able to brush all these teeth, but why you keep eating all these other animals, right? Like I, I watched a, a uh, National Geographic type video the other day and it was a cheetah fastest land animal, right? And it's, it's drinking water and it's, it's suspicious. Like, you know, it knows something's in that water. And before you know it, a gator came out and took that thing. And I was like, that's a cheetah. That gator must've been super fast. The alligator grabbed the, the, the cheetah and rolled it into the water and rolled it. And then the water settled. And you're like waiting on like, I'm really not watching this video. Am I like, this is going to, he's going to come back out, right? Like this, this cheetah is going to make it back out. No, no, the, it pans to the other cheetahs who were looking around like, 
Chad? Anybody seen Chad? Like, where's Chad the cheetah at? Like, I don't, did you guys see it? Did you, he was drinking and then he was gone. Anybody see like where, is he swimming? Is he on the other side? Like he's gone. And we watch those videos and you can watch nature videos if you're sick like me. You watch nature videos and you see what would be a tragedy inside of humanity, but we just call it nature because they don't have an expectation of more. They just exist off of how they've lived. So you can't have an expectation of more without a hope or a belief or something that's missing. And I think the pain, not only does it point us to injustice, it points us to the fact and the reality that hope should exist, that more should exist. There is something else out there that's pointing us to, and it's so interconnected to our happiness, our joy. It happened like this with uh, uh, my favorite author, uh, hands down my favorite author named C.S. Lewis. And he got married later in life, was very academic, and then later in life kind of confessed his love to a woman who was sick and really only realized he loved her until he found out he might lose her. So they get married and uh, in the process that she gets healed up, like they're married, great marriage, but they know there's a chance it might come back. So for a very short period, he was married to the love of his life and the way he describes her, the way they describe their marriage is this beautiful picture of everything you want it to be. And then she gets sick again and they know like this, this is probably it. And they're on this, they tell the story of them being on a, on a vacation. Like, you know, this, she's not sick, but she knows it might lead to sickness. And it's this beautiful, perfect vacation spot. And they're driving and she tells them, hey, I need you to be ready for the pain. Like, I need you to process my death. Like, if, first off, if, my, if that happened with my wife, I'd be like, that's not happening. Not gonna, nope, nope, we're not gonna talk about that. And sure enough, that's what he said. Like, why can't we just, why are you trying to ruin this moment? Like, let's just be happy. Can we not just enjoy this moment? And she says, no, no, no. The pain of later is deeply connected to the joy of now. The pain you're feeling later is going to be, cut, be in, in result of missing the joy we have now. You can't separate the two. And he writes it like this. There's a book he writes called The Grief Observed. And he writes this like whole wrestle with his faith and what, what does it mean and why is he going through this pain? And he writes this, the pain I feel now is the happiness I had before. That's the deal. See, he can't in that moment have pain unless he had once experienced and known joy. He can't in that moment, the, the, the extremity of how painful it was for him, how much it rattled his faith is only existence because of how much love and joy he had with his wife. The pain that you have is a version of what should be or what was. And you can't separate the two. They're so interconnected that your pain is indicative of a world that should be better, that God is saying a world should be better. Even, even the, the childhood trauma where you're like, that doesn't, I don't, I don't know how that makes sense. I didn't have happiness. I just had a rough childhood. The, the trauma only makes sense and it only becomes trauma. It only becomes depression or sadness or difficulty when you have a hope in your childhood or after your childhood that it should have been different when you have a belief that it should have been more, when you're raising up and you have parents that are mean to you, call you stupid, say bad things about you, it only is frustrating when you go to school and you talk to kids whose parents don't do that to them. If you don't have a hope for more, then it's only normal. But as soon as you have a hope and a belief that there's an injustice, that there's something should be better, that this shouldn't have happened to me, then there's a pain because you recognize they're connected. You can't separate the two and your pain is pointing you to a God who's saying, I'm with you. Like, I, I, I feel it too. 
Like I'm sad too, I'm hurting too. And so what do we do with it? What do you do with it if you're in this moment and you feel that pain? Uh, I'm, I'm kind of describing some extremes, like a miscarriage and him losing his wife, but it doesn't matter why you feel sad. Like nobody can tell you whether you're sad, your sadness is valid or not. So the idea that you would process through that diagram that we showed earlier and you get through your actions and your feelings and your thoughts and you recognize, no, no, I'm sad. That's what it is. I'm heartbroken. And we have a tendency to maybe discard it like, well, other people have it way worse. So it's not that big a deal. No, no, no. It's not that bad. I'm being silly. This is illogical. I shouldn't be sad about that. No, no, no. It's there for a reason to point you to something, to remind you of the goodness of God and what should happen and what should be, and that there is something missing. There's a phantom that's missing off of you. So you might just need to accept it. Like just listen to the pain and not try to discard it or act like it's not there, but really process it and let God in on your pain. Really process it and let God in on your pain because Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. See, when you find out and you acknowledge and you're honest and you, some of you are like, how do you not know you're sad? This doesn't even make sense. Uh, well, for me at least, um, mine comes out initially as anger. So you might have some things in your life that are coming out as different emotions. And if you process long enough, you spend some time in prayer and some time in lonely places talking to God like Jesus did, you'll find out, oh no, I'm just sad. Like at first I'm mad because that person shouldn't have done what they did and they were stupid for doing it. And then I process, I'm like, no, I'm sad because they're hurting themselves. I thought I was mad at them, but no, I'm deep down I'm just sad because they're back into the addiction that they, they should be out of. I'm sad because they're hurting inside of their marriage and I'm sad because they're doing stupid things to hurt themselves and hurt each other. I'm sad because we live in a world where there's all this information that's hurting people and people are continuing to hurt other people. I'm sad about that, but it comes out sometimes as anger. And then I can come to Jesus with my burden, with my weight, with the honesty of my sadness. And, and he can say, no, 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 I'm sad too. No, 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 I'm, I'm hurting too. Because in this moment, in this pain, I'm with you. Like I'm near to the brokenhearted because humanity breaks my heart. I'm near and I'm there to save those who are crushed in spirit because humanity has crushed my spirit and crushed me to the point of breaking where I, want, I would do anything to get humanity back and show you how much I love you. Like I'm here with you in the midst of your pain. And the thing you'll find out is that the only thing that will get you through the fog, the only thing that even makes the fog worth it, right? The only thing that can get you to the other side of the fog is finding out there's someone there with you who gets it. I mean, gets it like you get it. Because scripture says that my, my, my savior, Jesus, was tempted in every way. So when he wept, he, he was fully human and fully experiencing what I felt. And now he can sit in the bus with me and say, no, no, I'm, I felt it too. I'm, I'm heartbroken too. That shouldn't have happened to you. That shouldn't happen. Your marriage shouldn't be like this. Your kids shouldn't act like that. Like your finances shouldn't be so broken. Your job should be easier. I know you're sad, but I need you to know that I'm here with you. More than I need to give you all the answers, more than it's time to give you the truth, Jesus wants you to know that there's grace. In your loneliness, in your hurting, no, no I'm with you, I've been lonely too. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you because 
my father sent me to die on the cross. My father, I felt on the cross, why have you forsaken me? I've also felt forsaken. All the pain that you've felt, all the hurt that you felt, God has not only felt it, that Jesus not only felt it, but he's also, he's also there in it with you. And he's saying like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you the other side. Just, just trust me. It may be foggy, but set the course and let's go with where we've called to go. And it, sound, it may sound strange, but it's actually really easy to just soak in it and to not, not like do anything about it. It's actually really easy to avoid the reality of your sadness and just let it kind of drive. Like, nah, I'll just, I can't wait for the fog to dissipate, so I know this beverage is gonna help me fix it for a little bit. I, I, I'm hurting too bad. I'm hurting too bad to ride this, this fog out, so these pills will fix it for just a moment. I, I'm hurting too bad, I'm too lonely, so this relationship will fix it just for, just for a night. I'm, I'm in too much pain, I can't make it. And what I need you to know is that God gets that too, but it's worth it to look it right in the face and trust that God's with you. It's worth it because the value in it is found in the reality of what if you don't do it. Like the, the reality that if you don't deal with this properly, who you will become. And it sounds like the craziest thing, I think I said this statement last week, that hell is locked from the inside. And what I mean, what most people are like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, how would you, how in the world is hell locked from the inside? If you could suffer and be in pain and you could get out, why wouldn't you just get out? And we can talk about that for eternity because we see it in life. We see it now. Like we see people now that know like, no, 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 a counselor would help me, but I'm too afraid. So I don't do it. So I stay stuck in where I'm at. You know what? I need to go to rehab and have a conversation about my addiction, but it's too difficult. So I'm gonna stay in the pain. We've seen people drink their family away, people that they love, people that they care about. They'll stay with the drink because it solves the pain and the hurts for now, and it doesn't fix it for the long term. So who you become matters because it affects who's around you. You will lose your family, you will lose your friends if sadness gets to dictate the direction of your life and not Jesus. Because he's there with you and there to get you out of it, not to keep you in it. Not to give you a temporary band-aid, but to grow you into something completely different. See, because what happens and what, when I was sitting down with the therapist, she let me know like what happens is that victims end up becoming villains. The knife that stabbed you becomes the knife you pick up to stab your kids. The baggage that you carried with you from that relationship is now the baggage you took into your new relationship and dumped on him or her. The stuff that you're dealing with, the blood that you're bleeding is now bleeding on all the people around you because you don't wanna go get stitches. Because it's painful, it's difficult, it's too costly, it's gonna to be too painful, no, no, no. Think about the cost if you don't. If you don't say, Jesus, get in my bus, I'll ride with you because you felt what I feel. You understand what I'm going through and you love me enough to get me to the other side because Jesus is trying to turn your victim moment into your victory story. That you have a moment that in like every great epic story, there's a moment of struggle and pain and difficulty. And then the greatest heroes come from those who overcome that story. And Jesus is trying to write that in you that your addiction, your childhood, your relationship issues are gonna be the ones that other people point to for hope when you turn to Jesus. Because they're gonna look at you and go, 
oh, I saw how you, how you acted. I saw how you treated that relationship. I saw how bad your kids were. I saw how you struggled. I saw your depression. I sh- saw you go to the counselor. I saw you get help. And now you're this, now you're in this relationship. Now you're this healthy. You become the person other people look to for hope because there's extremes on both sides. You get to either become the hero of what God wants you to be or the villain to the people you love most. And as as hard as it is, like as difficult as it is, it's worth facing because he's with you, because he's on the bus with you and he'll be there with you with every giant, every hard conversation, every every moment where it's like, "Ah, I'm scared to have that conversation. No, 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 he's, he's with you. Every time that you're afraid to face the thing he's called you afraid to face, he's on the bus with you. He's got your back and he's gonna get you to the other side. Let's pray. We are so excited that you had joined us for today's message. We hope that it impacted you, that God used it to get to you exactly what he needed to speak and that you're able to take the action steps he's called you to. If you're still here with us and you're looking for a way to give back to the Brick Church, to be a part of the community financially, you can start that giving in two ways. One way is through the website. It's thebrick.church/giving. The second way is to set up a text giving account. You do that by texting the word BRICK to the phone number 45888. That's the word BRICK to 45888. Thank you for being a part of all that God is doing here at the Brick Church. 